Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. We're humans. We're not expected to be perfect. And we can change our mind, right? Like, again, with, you know, like career changes and, and all that, we're allowed to do that. We're, we're humans. We're not expected to have everything good at the first try. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. LinkedIn presents... Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech from all around the world. My name is Catherine Rowan, and I have the privilege of guest hosting this episode. With me today, we actually have a special episode today because I get to interview the lovely Angie, who was another guest host for this amazing podcast. Angie's calling in from Lima. Welcome, Angie. Thank you for your time. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. This is going to be so exciting. I'm going to let you do the honors. So I know that we've been sort of chatting and chilling a little bit, but how about I let you tell us a little bit about you, who you are and what you're up to? Yeah. Well, besides of being your podcast bestie, right? <laughs> I'm also, I'm a former founder. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an angel investor. I'm a developer. I'm a designer. I'm basically a multi-hyphenate. And yeah, like I've been... I'm very curious. I'm a very curious human and I really care about equality and leveling out the playing field, right? Like it, especially if if we're talking about gender, the gender gap in wealth and health. So that's my job. So if you're interested in that, you know, like hit me up. I'm always, you know, available for, for that. Well, wow, you just gave me your intro and your outro at the same time. <laughs> Well done. I'm what, like a, so what a skill. Okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. I feel like you just went through the whole dictionary of cool things to do. Designer, developer, um, entrepreneur, founder, all of these cool things. And look, I, I'm going to double click into your curiosity and why you, the values that you've brought up, you know, about wealth and health and, and bridging, well, I guess like pretty much smushing that gender gap. I, know, I really want to sort of dig into that. But, okay, well, tell us something about you that we wouldn't know, that lots of people wouldn't know. Well, well, my first name is not Angie. My first name is Nancy. 
but I never go by Nancy. Yeah, so that's something that a lot of people doesn't don't don't know. Like everybody knows me as Angie. Nobody knows me as Nancy, but in my family everybody calls me Nancy and it just feels like a double personality or something. I care a lot about mental health and mental health awareness as well, right? Like so it, it, I think it's important for all of us always to get checked and, and see, right? Like um otherwise we wouldn't know. But yeah, so that was that was one thing that nobody knows about me. It's quite secret. And I actually quite enjoy it. Wow. Yeah, quite enjoy having that. Well, you heard it here first, everybody. Get the scoop. So hang on. How did you go from Nancy to Angie? Did someone mistakenly call you Angie? And you're like, I'll go with that. No, 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 not at all. So during my whole, you know, primary school, secondary school, everybody called me Nancy because when the teacher calls you, you know, like you're at school, they call you by your first name usually. Yeah. Um, but I felt that I didn't have a, like an identity, right? Like, and that's why I chose, I chose to use my second uh, name, which is Angelica. And then I chose to turn it into Angie. So the thing is that in my family, there are people, my mother is called Nancy and my grandma is called Angelica. So I couldn't find, you know, my own identity and a way to differentiate myself from others. And that's why when I move to uh, another country, um, I decided, oh, well, you know, like here, nobody knows me. I'm making my own name. I'm making my own personality. And it's a new opportunity for me to be the person that I really want to be. And that's when I changed from going by Nancy, what the teachers called me, to Angie, the name that I chose for myself. Wow. that's so. It's so interesting that you picked that up. It sounds like at such a young age. Yeah. So I've lived all my adult life as an immigrant. Um, I immigrated to Mexico. So I'm originally from Peru. I immigrated to Mexico when I was 17. Uh, I won a scholarship to study university over there. And then I immigrated to the United States to keep on my studies and stuff over there in California. And then I went to the UK and some other countries. I lived in Brazil for a while. And I've traveled over to 40 countries during all my adult life, right? Like I've been living abroad. I don't know what it's living in your hometown. Um, that's, that's, I like going away from my comfort zone, you know, like I think that's tied to my inner curiosity. And I, I like just traveling, exploring new things, learning new languages and meeting new people, understanding what makes us different, but also what makes us really the same, right? Like as human beings, we share like 99, over 99% of our DNA, no matter where we are from, right? So that concept that we have all these divisions and that we have, like that we have created for ourselves, like we're all actually, you know, like homo sapiens sapiens, and we share way more than we, we think, no matter the gender, and no matter the the race or the color of our skin, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that so interesting? It's because I mean, you know, at the moment, a lot of us are spending so much time to to accentuate that one percent, you know, like to really be different and that sort of stuff. And then you know, there's a lot of us, a lot of us in terms of like the, the race, who we're just very similar 
in a lot of ways. And being able to connect to that is really important too. I think that's where the connection comes from with community and just, you know, your friends and just feeling like you belong somewhere, you know, as well. I think that's really, really interesting. Did you think when you were young that you were going to be such a multifaceted human being? Yeah, always. So I was thinking about it. Actually, my grandma, she had multiple careers, but the one that she got like more recognition of what she was, like it it was her last career as as an artist and painter, which she started when she was 50. So I always had that, you know, like, oh, I can be whatever I want and I can change it at any point in my life. Right. Like, so if I, okay, I did this, I liked it, it was fun, but now, you know, let me try something else. I think that was completely fine in my mind, right? Because of the role model that I had, right? Like, so yeah. I think that's such a superpower, right? To have the conviction to change your mind and to change your mind on something that affects your life so much. You know, we spend a lot of time in our careers as an example, and I think. It's one of those messages that I wish I could get to young people. You know, when I was teaching, I was like, you know, you you will have multiple careers in your life. It's not the old school way of you go to uni to study one thing and that's the one thing you do for the rest of your life. And so you don't have to be so scared about, quote, unquote, getting it right, you know, the first time. And it's just such a cool thing for you to, to hear you. And, you know, we could hear you have so many different careers and make so many different turns that have like a similar thread, but they're quite different you know, um, in, in skill set and, and just having to relearn a lot of things. So I think that's really, really cool. Tell me about this cupcake business you opened with your friend. <laughs> Speaking of random things. So the thing is that all these abilities, you know, all these skills, you needed to be a good founder, right? You, you need, if you want to start a tech startup, you, you need to know a little bit about developing, you know, like to understand the time frame, to understand what you're asking other people when you're working with developers. But you also have to have a good eye for UX design and understand the user experience and understand the design process as well because you are designing a product or a service or something for someone, right? So I think all this skill set, you know, like actually build up into founding a really good you know, startup or business or something. And my first business was a cupcake shop with my roommate. And I ate, I ate my business, right? Like I ate it because <laughs> when I, when I have anxiety or I, I overeat, right? Like, and I have this, um, I think I've always had this sugar addiction, right? Like, so it was really fun because I took this course on how to make really beautiful cupcakes, really beautiful cupcakes. And I made these this cupcakes and, and we started getting a lot of demand. But whenever a cupcake wasn't perfect, right? Like that was the perfectionism in me. Whenever a cupcake wasn't perfect, I would put it aside and I would be like, no, this is, you know, like doesn't, I'm not approving the the quality of this one. And then I would put it aside and then we would deliver beautiful, beautiful cupcakes. But then I wouldn't end up eating a lot more that didn't make the cut, right? Like it was, it was a, a really bad business. <laughs> um, Do you know what? It would have been such a good thing to be your friend during that business. Cause I could have gotten all the rejects. 
No. Um, yeah, my friend and I, we ate a lot of, a lot of cupcakes during that time. This really ties, ties back about mental health and how it's really important to be aware of your own mental health and your mental sabotagers that you have, all right, inside of your, your own uh, psychology to understand what are the things that are holding you back in your business, right? And in, in this particular business, what something I was holding me back was the perfectionism and um, the anxiety and the um, how the emotions affected my my development in this business, right? I was doing this as side hustle. I had my corporate job, you know, from nine to five, and during the nights I would do this with my roommate, well, my housemate. But and while we were going, um, I was going on through a breakup. Right. Like, so eating sugar, you know, and managing, not actually managing my emotions. And I just, I was just, um, having this coping mechanism of going through eating, overeating. Um, it was really interesting for me to know myself better and to know, okay, so how I'm going to react when something really bad happens the next time that I'm founding a business, right? Like, Am I going to also like overeat my product and uh, just bankrupt, you know, like the company or what I'm going to do? You know, like if in the middle of founding a company, I, I'm going to have this, you know, like like emotional, you know, challenging times, right? Like as as breaking up with someone in, in a love relationship, right? Like so... I think it really um, helped me. I, I learned, but I also had to not learn because later on, when I founded a tech startup, a venture back startup, I ended up not dating anyone. You know, like, so that was my, um, because I was like, I don't want to go through uh, that breakup again or, you know, having someone that affects me emotionally so much, right? Like, so I decided to be alone during the whole time that that was going to happen. But then it was horrible for me because I became a workaholic. And then I didn't have, you know, like when that startup ended or, or I mean, it didn't end it. I, I just left at the company. But when that came to be, I realized, well, how have I grown in other areas of my life as well, right? Like, and I... Couldn't because I didn't let myself date during that whole time. And it was really difficult for other people that wanted to date me to date me during that time. It was really fun uh, to understand, you know, like how it all really comes about to be psychology and I, understanding yourself and understanding what are your, the ways that you react or the ways that you've, you know, how your fears and the things that happen, happen in your past how, can affect your future. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's the, the right way to go either. You know, like I think managing your emotions and going to therapy and having someone to talk about it, it's actually a much better, more efficient way than just, you know, saying like, oh, well, I'm just not going to be subject to the emotional, yeah, like roller coaster that is being on a relationship. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, when I talk to founders or when you listen to founders talk about their journey, it's a lonely journey. You know, um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot on your shoulders. And a lot of the times, you know, like I founded it, uh, co-founded um, with a friend, but I, I left that as well. And, but even talking to him again, every now and then he's like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of lonely. I don't know who to talk to about some of these things that I go through. And I guess for him, he does have someone though, you know, he does have a partner, which I think he can share with, with, which I think takes a little bit of pressure off him. So I can't imagine what it was like for you to just go, cold turkey and go, you know what, this time I'm not going to have anybody and I'm just going to focus on on work and, and really interesting to see how you reflected on that experience as well. So did you go from Cupcake to biotech company or was there something in between? How did that happen? <laughs> no. So, yeah, I've always been curious. I think my my very first, you know, entrepreneurial thing was like a lemonade stand like every other kid, you know, like exactly there was a construction site or something like across the street or something. And I put my lemon instead for the construction workers. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, poor guys, I was like, you know, like basically <laughs> I was just there like a kid with your lemon instead. I mean, they were trying to, to buy things, but then I realized that, you know, people were just buying because of, they had pity or they were like, Oh, cute kid. And I was like, I don't want that. You know, like I want, <laughs> I want people to actually buy because this is something. And then I put a, like a pizza a stand. So I would make pizzas. Um, yeah. So in, instead of lemonade, I was like, these people are hungry, you know, like they're thirsty, but they can get the lemonade for free, but they have to buy the pizza. Um, that was my second one. How old were you when, when you came up with this concept? Uh, I don't know, maybe six or something. So, so that was my first business because I just won like a painting. I like painting too. Um, a painting contest, like a national painting contest or something. And I won like $500 and that was like my startup cost for my lemonade stand slash pizza, uh, stand. So that was my first business, to be honest, fully honest. Um, then while I was working um, in my nine to five, the first business that I had was this cupcake business. But then I always wanted to do something else. Like I was working on M&As and I was uh, at a pharmaceutical company Um and I used to buy laboratories and I used to, you know, like oversee, you know, what would be the good products to, to import into the new market and stuff like, and yeah, I used to see a lot of valuations, right. Valuation for startups and, and new products and things like that. Um, so I remember the valuation of WhatsApp being sold to Facebook, right? Like WhatsApp was, um, like Israeli company and it was being sold to Facebook for this huge billion dollar company or something valuation. I was like, this is crazy. You know, like it's an app. It's great. They have a lot of users, but I thought it was like overly valuated compared to the valuations that I did right back, back then. So that's how, that's how it came to be. You know, like the, the interest in biotech came from working in this pharmaceutical company uh, we had the first biotech plant in Latin America. So meeting all, uh, and I also understand the difference between pharmaceutical products and bio 
products, uh, biotech products, which is uh, different. And, and the plants were actually two completely different plants. So that that's how later, later, later in my life, I founded a biotech company. Um, but in the meanwhile, I was like, you know, like, I don't know what to do. And I, and I was in love, right? Like um, love is, is, is always like a good, good thing around my life. But so I moved to the UK because of love, but actually it got to me to, to, it was like the, the year was 2014 and I was in the UK and I was surrounded by um, a lot of very, very interesting and and smart people in Oxford. And Nick Bostrom has just published the book Super Intelligence. So he used to talk about how humanity could get um, eradicated from Earth. Earth. What are the risks, right? Like, what are the biggest risks for humanity? And I, I thought that this is so interesting. The work that he was doing was so interesting. What else could be, you know, more interesting than this. So he talked about, you know, like AI being, you know, like um, a great risk that could either help or eradicate completely humanity, right? Um, and and yeah, like just being being surrounded by that, by the people at the Future of Humanity Institute made me see the importance of thinking 10, 20, 50 years ahead, even 100 years ahead, and how also all the people that were thinking about the future, thinking about super AI, thinking about, you know, like all these um, things that could affect us as humanity were mostly male, mostly white, and mostly with a very narrow view of the world. They were probably just, you know, from Europe, and they were very narrow-minded, and and they were talking about the future of humanity, but they didn't understand humanity the way I think I understand humanity, right? Like, as being an immigrant during my whole adult life, seeing different points of view, seeing different cultures, you know, like dealing with people from different parts of the world, things from one side, right? But they were making great advancements. So the the main reason that I got out of there is like, you know, like we need more people working in tech. We need more people working in AI. But if all the people, you know, developing AI were mostly men, then how are we going to, you know, like get this point of view from the other type of people that are not in the table, right? So that's when I was like, oh, I need to learn to code first. And two, I need, you know, like the, the younger people, the younger generations to learn to code too. So I started a coding bootcamp because of this reason. Because of the reason of like, eventually I would want AI to be created in not a way in in a way that is way more inclusive for women and for people of color for sure. So, yeah, I started this this coding bootcamp. It was a really interesting interesting. So it was 2015. I was trying to do this um, 
I was trying to do it online. Uh, and I think it was too early for online education. I think for, you know, if we were around 2019 or something, you know, that could have been closer to the pandemic or something, like, I think that would have helped a lot more. Um, but in 2015, the retention rates were really low of kids trying to learn to code online. So what I realized is like, if I want to have a bigger impact, I need to um, merge or partner up with a bigger institution. And that's where I found Technovation, uh, which was a global already, it was a global competition for girls in tech. It teaches girls to have this kind of like a ter- tech startup. They teaches, uh, it teaches um on how to make your pitch deck and how to make an app, how to make a website and all the basic things that you need to have, you know, like a, like a tech startup. And then they get, have this grant and they compete, they compete locally, then globally. It's, it's great. So I became a master educator for them and an ambassador for Latin America. And yeah, organized this, like help develop the, the curriculum. And that way I could have a much bigger impact creating a curriculum that was that is still being used, right? Like all these years after. Um, so I had a little bit of input in that great initiative that also has the backing of UNESCO and Google and multiple big partners, right? Like so. So that was something that, um, on how could I help, you know, like AI become more inclusive? Hopefully if we can help from early on of people understanding that, yeah, having a career in tech is really important because people like us deserve to have a voice in, in this in in this big revolution, right? Like if we are creating a super AI, if we are creating something that could be even more smart than humans, right? Like we definitely have to have a saying in that. So the super AI that we're creating, hopefully is not, you know, like drawing us with big boobs and, and yeah, like, or, or a certain stereotypes, right? Because it's being fed those stereotypes from humans. Why I'm saying this is because I saw this post by Sofia Moroso that she was playing with, you know, like this this new AI writer and AI, you know, like a lot of people have been playing with that. Um, and AI draw her with, with, you know, like kind of like an anime way of, of drawing her and with big boobs, big eyes, you know, like kind of like what we've been telling AI that, Oh yeah, like humans like women being drawn like this, right? Like, and it's not, it's not true, you know. Like, but if we keep feeding AI to be sexist and <laughs> kind of racist, so for sure AI will be like that, you know. Like, um, and that's a big risk, and hope we can we can work on that. It's actually really fascinating. I never thought of it this way, but I, from what you're saying. The first wave of what we can create with AI, for example, you know, images or even the way we write, it's it's we're feeding it what we've currently got, right? And so it's a really interesting reflection of what we 
of what we quote unquote value in society. You know what I mean? Because the machine at the moment doesn't know any better. It only knows what the, the data that we feed it, right? And the data we feed it is what we've got currently. So to think that that's what happened on the other side and that was the picture of her that was drawn, I was like, man, are we that shallow? And then, you know, I think to myself, okay, well, with all of the data that is online that I probably don't interact with or see, maybe we are. And maybe I'm just living in my bubble of like, surely not. You know, surely we're, we have a, a greater view than that. So that's a really interesting. I never thought of it that way. Huh. Mm, interesting food for thought. It's such an interesting like a mirror to reflect what society is fit, yeah, potentially thinking it, at the moment. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a good ref- reflection of what humans we tend to do in our psychology also, right? Like we tend to always want to be the good guy, right? Like so when we do something wrong, when we say something racist, when we say something that is not the person that we think we are, because we always want to think that we are good, right? Like, and that causes a dissonance between what we think we are and what we actually need saying. We tend to, you know, like uh, blame the other party, you know, like, or try to excuse ourselves instead of owning up into our own behavior that is also have been fed from society, right? Like instead of accepting that dissonance that, you know, like, because it's not the person that we want to be. But I think accepting that it's a really good, it's a good first process into becoming a better human Um, because we're, we're humans. We're not expected to be perfect. And we can change our mind, right? Like, again, with, you know, like career changes and, and all that, we're allowed to do that. We're, we're humans. We're not expected to have everything good at the first try. With the experiences that you were having and how I can hear you sort of evolve as a human, as you tell us these stories of like, this is, you know, one of the, the startups that I found and I was involved in all these um I guess, different movements and and organisations as well. How did you bring that into the biotech that you eventually founded? Okay, so I work uh, for this. I arrived to to Silicon Valley because it's it's still, you know, like I wanted to raise capital, do my coding boot camps in all over Latin America, like kind of like do like an Andela um, coding boot camp, you know, like if you don't know that it's, it's a coding boot camp in... Africa and they challenge African talent um, to these top tech companies in the U.S. Right, like and give them like this this workforce for a lot cheaper, right? Like um, and also like help you know like a, a lot of people um, to study and and to develop this new skill set. Um, so I wanted to do something like that. I thought that their uh, business model was great. It was easy to to replicate my mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I went to. I wanted to uh, raise capital for that, right? So I sat with a lot of VCs. I mean, great that they took the time to meet with me. A really passionate, you know, person that was really worried about super AI being not inclusive with people from Latin America. Um, and one of them 
one of my biggest mentors sat down and actually told me, you know what? I really like you. But what you're working on is something that we back like 10 years ago. You need to stay here and think about what it would be, you know, like in the next 10 years, something that we will need. I was like, okay, thank you. And, and I was like, I was like angry. And, but I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate the honesty, but it, it was like not an easy thing to accept that I was working on the wrong thing, right? Let's be clear. It wasn't the wrong thing, right? It was that he or she or they, whoever it was that was your mentor, was saying, I see something in Angie that we could put towards a future problem. Right. Exactly. That, so it right? was instead not of the wrong something that thing, was taken, yeah, it wasn't the wrong thing. Yeah. But it was it was something this business model. It was something that people in a specific Silicon Valley, right? Like like backing things 10 years ahead. And this kind of business model was already seen, was already tested, and was already um something that could be a profitable business not something that could be venture back. But in that in that moment, you know, Angie wanted to do a venture back company. Um, <laughs> and that also talks about, you know, like how we could see that, you know, like venture capital is like kind of like a tick or 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 like a I don't know, like kind of like an award. Um, because even for immigration purposes, it's seen like as an award. And I think that's weird because to be honest, I've had profitable businesses and I had venture back businesses and the ability to have a company to be profitable is really hard and it should be more appreciated because anyone could go and sell parts of their company and put a valuation and then put a bigger valuation. And it's just like paying credit with credit, right? Like, so having that ability of business up or build, building a profitable business shouldn't take for granted. And I think that's a really different way of operating. Um, I think in, in other parts of the world, actually they appreciate more that the business model has been tested, have been done, and you can make it a profitable company. Um, and that's okay. You know, like, so I think that was a learning from me that back then. Um, but I wanted to do a venture back company. I, I had that in my mind. So I work for, um, I work for this uh, incubator or pre-incubator program. I saw a lot of businesses. I saw a lot of people raising capital. Um, and I spent, you know, like a lot of time working there in Silicon Valley and meeting people and, and building relationships. And what I saw is that when it comes to education and health or something else, the people that raise the most capital were usually around in health, um, because it's a more capital intensive industry, right? Like, so for a biotech company, you know, like 10K or 50K doesn't move the needle. Like you need like millions there because of course, you know, like to have, to build equipment, to have the um, 
the technical staff, the people there, you need that kind of like seat rounds. Like it's completely different than um, building in another industry. And I had this um, previous previous um, experience from working in pharma. So I kind of like wanted to see. And when, when I started researching the data and also for something particular that happened to me. So, so it's always like, if I'm going to start something, you know, a, a, a business, it has to be something related to myself, right? Like uh, I prefer scratching my own itch as well. So I had um, this uh, infection in my fallopian tube that a lot of doctors didn't know what, what it was. Uh, I went to Stanford, uh, you know, medical unit, whatever. They didn't know. They thought it was a appendicitis. Um, then I, I went to, I went back to Peru. My sister's a doctor. So I went back to Peru. She helped me research more. And it was an appendicitis. Um, it, people couldn't see what it was happening. The imaging, you know, like in order to see the fallopian tubes or something. It's really like old tech. So what I did is, is I started um, taking daily exams, daily tests, blood, blood um, tests. You know? uh, and what I realized is that, yeah, we had, I had this bacteria infection, a gram-negative bacteria infection that was very resistant to antibiotics. So even though that I've been taking antibiotics, it was super resistant and it was causing me um, a hard arrhythmia because of the toxin of this bacteria that was in my pelopin tube, it migrated all to my heart. So the, the human body is really interesting because it's all interconnected, but the medical system is not, right? Like you go to one specialist and you get treated for that one specific thing when it's actually a whole system that talks to itself and everything's interrelated. For me, that's like, wow, incredible to know. And also what we eat every time that I eat sugar, I realize that in my, in my, um, test, you know, like this, the symptoms would spike up or I would feel worse, um, with my pain that I had here. Um, so that was really interesting. I had to take really high doses of the last type of antibiotic for over three months. And nobody know nobody knew this. I was still working. Uh like people thought, you know, like I was okay. But I could, you know, like feel that I wasn't um feeling right. And I went to this think tank, kind of like um it was called Singularity University. And back when it was at NASA Ames and I was still on antibiotics during this time, right? Like, and part of that program was like, okay, like have an idea, create a startup or something like that. Um, so that was the idea. That was the startup that I created after that program. And we incubated it in that, um, after that program and then they have an accelerator program and incubated there we incubated in nasa ames yes we met a lot of astronauts and stuff like it was really a, a really nice time but as, as anything right like i think 
knowing the, the people that you start businesses with is really important. And we have met, what, like eight weeks ago or 10 weeks ago, right? Like it was not enough in order to build a business that could last 10 or 20 years, right? Like I think the business still exists, but I left quite early because we have we had different views on where to take the company. So I left early. Mm-hmm. That would have been rough. I mean, especially considering the seed of the idea came from something that was truly so per- personal to you. Yeah, it was a really tough time. I, I, you know, like the worst thing is that I thought the startup was my baby, right? Like I already committed, right? Like, uh, okay, I'm not going to have kids. I'm not going to have a partner. I'm not going to have all these other mental clutter that distracts me from building a business, right? Like this company is going to be my baby, right? Like, and I think that's completely false because you, it's like saying your pet is your baby. It's not, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my furry baby. But the thing is, I I think that, you know, creates a mental thing that uh, it's not helpful. You know, like, because an entity, you know, like that is like a legal entity cannot be your baby. You know, like it's not the same um, love. It's not the same care, you know, like, uh, and I think as women, you know, like we, we tend to see things like that and we devoted too much, you know, like, so I think I, I devoted too much to that um, project, devoted too much of my own personal business relationships of my own reputation for us to um, raise money early on. But actually, you know, like later, so what ended up being that company or what we envisioned when I was part of that team was like an engin- a platform to engineer viruses, which would have come very handy later on because what I wanted to build was this repository of how we can engineer viruses, right? Like of like this platform, this repository, so you can track like this virus is allergic to, you know, or is resistant to this, this and that, or, or I don't know, like it would have come really handy later on. But when I talked to one of the co-founders, he was like, in case of a pandemic, like, I don't want to be, you know, like, involved in that. And that was their decision. So since then, I should have known that you cannot force anyone to... For me, it would be like, oh, my God, a pandemic, you know, like, let's help the world. But you cannot force the primary care care people that actually wanted to be involved or not, right? Like, so I think that was really interesting Uh, We definitely were thinking 10 years ahead. A pandemic was coming, you know, like you could see it in the data. Like we were missing a pandemic for years. And this was my second pandemic, by the way, because I I was part on the first pandemic in Mexico, the H1N1 pandemic in Mexico City. Yeah. Um, So I kind of knew when things... uh, but I was not expecting, you know, this to last this long and this to be as as global as it was, you know, like 
even though that I've been researching, you know, like the data of, of viruses and, and how we were like missing, you know, like the pandemic of this century, because the, during all these past centuries, we have had some type of um, pandemic and that brought innovation, right? Like um, to humanity. So, yeah. So I ramble a lot, a lot of work for, for <laughs> the editor, but it, it's really interesting for me, right? Like how with all this curiosity from different types of things is the intersection of all that that brings something quite unique, right? And I think that's why, you know, like I kind of like that, like learning multiple things and diving into multiple things because it's in the intersection that we see things that are interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's such an important narrative for everyone, I think, in that it's not like you're giving something up, you know, like you talk to some people and they feel like they've wasted time. You know, they feel like they've wasted five to 10 years of their life in this one area of the world and then they flip and they go somewhere else and it's obviously hard to make that decision. But what I can hear in the experiences that you've had and it's it's about like, building building onto the experiences that you've had previously it's not like you're not forgetting the fact that you were this and that it was just like okay cool like I learned something there and then I learned something else here and then we kind of bring it together and you don't know what's going to become of it but just take that as you now have the experience that you can look at a problem a different way because you've got these multitudes of things that you've done that at the time may not seem like they're interconnected, but really they are, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day. So I think that's a really important point. Yeah. We're never starting over, right? Like we're always building for, yeah. I, I, I like that. I appreciate that you've spent so much time with us and I, I don't want to take any more of your precious time and how busy you are. So I just got a couple questions for you before we finish off. Um, quick fire questions for you favorite book so you know what i there's one that talks is, is very similar it's one of my favorite books and it's mistakes were made but not by me it's such a good book on psychology so it really talks about about what we've been talking about during this it's one of my my favorites but i haven't read it in a while but it's definitely one of my favorites and really insightful on human psychology Interesting. I've got to write that one down. That sounds cool. Even the title sounds cool, you know. Um, your favourite podcast? My favourite podcast is, of course, the Women in Tech podcast. <laughs> if you could pick any other podcast in the world, what could it uh, be? Which other podcast I like? Um, so I've been listening to uh, this podcast by, by, it's called Jessica Fernandez, I think, uh, Garcia. It's in Spanish, but she interviews um, people, and it's it has a um, like a gender agenda, and I really like that as well. So if people listen and they speak Spanish or trying to, you know, like get get their Spanish on point, in her podcast I would recommend it. I like it. Awesome, thank you. Uh, what about your best resource for tech? Best resource for tech, yes. This my Apple Watch. Oh my god! I can't Points to her Apple that. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any hobbies at the moment? Um, playing with my dog, <laughs> running, cycling, maybe. Yeah. So keeping healthy and keeping fit. I see. I see. Very important. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like 
you know, you've been on a health journey yourself. So I guess, you know, some final questions from me. What can our community do to support you? So um, I would love to get connected with more women in tech, um, either as founders or investors or they're curious about this. So reaching out, I have a website that I'm putting up together um, that I want to create more content for, you know, us um, women that are interested in tech startups. I think that's what I really like. So I would really like people, if you have resonated with anything that I've said, you know, like to connect with me. I'm a full human being. So <laughs> please DM me. It's me, you know, like behind behind all my social media. Is it like a... Is there a preferred social media that you have? Uh, that I probably off? spend more time on Instagram. Yeah, so that's probably my preferred social media. But I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn as well, on Twitter and all the social media. My handle is at Angie Carrillo R, uh, Carrillo with double R double L. Um, yeah, that's how you can connect with me. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, look, thank you so much, Angie. It's been so fun hanging out with you today. Um, and yeah, thank you for sharing just so many nuggets of wisdom and, and your experiences. It's been so cool. And of course, to you listening, thank you so much for hanging out with us in the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with people like Angie around the world in tech. Please remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And of course, say hello on the socials at Women in Tech on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook. Until next time, stay safe and be rad. Bye! Yay! Hi, this is Angie Carrillo. I'm based in Lima, Peru, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.